actually the second installment, of Too Lazy to Write. Uh, it's now available on iTunes and on my website, toolazytowrite.com. The number two, the word lazy, the number two, the word write, the dot, and the com. It's me, the real John Baker, um, at the real John Baker on Twitter, and uh, johnnybake71 at G. Oh, actually, no, if you go to the website, you can contact me there. But... Um, I don't know what the fuck I was going to say. So, uh, second episode. What do I uh, have in store? Well, today's episode, we travel. That's my travel music. We travel all the way to Thailand, where I speak to a woman I went to high school with, um, my friend Abigail. I guess she was a friend, and then she became a Facebook friend. But after our uh, conversation, she's a friend again. A real friend, not a Facebook friend, but a real, real friend. And Abigail uh, has had a really interesting life, I think. Um, one of the reasons I decided to do this podcast was to talk to people who I think have some interesting stuff to talk about, and she is definitely one of them. And um, we hooked up via Skype, Skype, uh, for when you want to talk to somebody Using a computer, visit Skype.com backslash org biz gov. Uh, anyway, it was, um, we talked for, well, we did it over two days and we had some troubles, but whatever, it worked out well. I hope you enjoy it. It's me and Abigail chatting and, uh, yeah, knock yourself out. Enjoy it. I don't know if you recall, but I was a little bit of a, a ne'er-do-well. Yes, I, I recall that. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I had a huge crush on you. Like, let's, like, it's been 30 years, so I don't care. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I was so oblivious to that. I was so, like, just, yeah, I was just doing my teenage troubled years, you know? Right. So, um, so yeah, I got, uh, what? It's, I, I just got involved with some, I was all in that Rasta scene and got involved with, um, with a lot of people in that kind of uh, scene, which was good and bad. I met some really cool people, but I kind of like lost my focus for school and I was bored at school. I didn't really like it. So. And this was all in Ottawa. This was in Ottawa. Okay. I just always felt like a bit, uh, I don't know. It just didn't feel, I don't feel comfortable there. I was born in England mm -hmm. and we came to Canada when I was five years old. And uh, so I just always felt a bit odd in Can in, in Ottawa. Um, now it's completely different. I love it there, and I would I would move back in a heartbeat if it wasn't for the winters. But um, but yeah. Anyway, so I d difficult child, uh, difficult teenage years. Um, so yeah, I I I didn't graduate. I I ended up going to England and. Uh, my uncle was working at The Economist at the time, The Econo Economist newspaper, The okay. Economist magazine. Yeah. So um, I did it like a complete turnaround. Because of him, I got a job there at The Economist. And this and, is what, you're like 18? Yeah, about 17, 18. Okay. Um, I was doing really well in school before I, I, uh, before I, I kind of dropped out, you know. But... Um, after the working at the Economist for a couple of years, I, I came back to 
to Canada and did and went to university in Montreal and came in as a mature student. So, so I got back into, you know, back into education and that. But yeah, that's why I didn't graduate. I there's a there's a there's a you know more, a bigger story around it, but I, but uh, I don't think it would be very interesting. I think every, everything's everybody's got something interesting, and that's what I find interesting about everybody. Because I personally think I have nothing interesting going on. What are you talking in, about? No. You're living in you're living in Virginia. You're no, not interesting at all, really. I think that that's way better than working in a in a job that you're not happy at. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many people I find, and doing what I'm doing here. And seeing people coming from jobs, like they get two weeks a year of holiday, you know, and they yeah. come and they want to get in shape or whatever, and they're just miserable in these jobs. I mean, that's why a long time ago I ended up working, you know, just deciding to work for myself and just, and I was like you, I didn't know what I was going to do at first, and I kind of just, uh, you know what I mean, like, just sort of like traveled and I mean, at that time, I didn't have a family, so it was a bit easier. But I think life, life's too short to get stuck into a job where you're not happy. And, you know, I don't know. Well, I have it. Yeah. No, go ahead. I don't want to interrupt you. You're the guest. No, I don't really have, have anything more to say. I'm curious what you have to say. I, well, I remember, God, years ago, there was a story about you in the paper, right? Weren't you doing something with fashion design or something? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's what, uh, yeah, I'll tell you, I'll okay, tell you so about that. Okay, so I, I want to know how you ended up doing fashion design and then ending up in in Thailand. Like, obviously, okay. there's some years in there, but what happened? Right. So, so well, basically, after, the, after I got the credentials working at The Economist, that opened up the door to publishing for me. And I worked in publishing for a lot of years oh, okay. until I was about 27 at 28 and um but I had this moment of clarity when I saw I was working as a assistant editor for a magazine that dealt with uh tribal art okay so it's kind of a a long story but yeah we were dealing with uh the the magazine was focused on ethnographic art antique and ethnographic art so um uh, and at that time, I saw like all the people in the advertising department were getting paid way much, way more than I was. And I was uh, living in London at the time, London, England, and it's an expensive city. And I just uh, so is this part, like the, part of my is, sorry, is this like the mid nineties? Let's say or early two thousand uh, late nineties. Late nineties, okay. Late nineties, and um, yeah, and so I we as part of the job, I would go to these shows and see people. Uh, all these dealers selling stuff. I'd buy stuff from the dealers, but I was like, they have such a cool lifestyle. You know, they get to go and exhibit in in New York and London and wherever in Europe, uh, San Francisco, and um, and they don't work for anyone and they make really good money. You know, you could sell a piece for like ten thousand dollars and get a good commission. You know, yeah, a uh, hundred thousand dollars or you know, like the the prices were really good in that in that market. So um, I decided at that point to quit writing 
and um, and go and because I had collected a bunch of stuff over the years as as a you know as a buyer mm-hmm. and to start dealing myself. So I was selling antique uh, tribal art, like uh, some jewelry, costume from like Tibet and China, like uh, jackets and textiles and things like that. So that kind of put me in the frame of mind of clothing. And I always liked the, especially the uh, traditional Chinese and Tibetan clothing. So my idea was... uh, to make clothing along those lines for um, with with that kind of like a uh, style, okay. um, but make them like new because I used to love wearing these old jackets, but they were really old. Like some of them were like hundred, uh, two hundred, five hundred years old, you know. And um, and I thought, you know, this would uh, this would be something fun to do. Um, so I I uh, I was working in the the antique uh, tribal art world for a few years and I moved to San Francisco and I was, I was enjoying that for a while. And, um, and then as a side venture, I decided to kind of go off and make these clothes. So I, I traveled, my idea was to go to the hill tribes in China. And I'd been, um, at that point I started training like a few years before I'd started training martial arts with, um, with a, a Shifu, uh, a teacher from the Shaolin Temple in oh. um, in London. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, this is how kind of how I got into martial arts, um, which is a, a sort of like parallel story to to you know kind of completes the whole. It brings everything full circle. Right. So around the late '90s, uh, when I was in London and when I was miserable um, working at this job as an ed- editor. I found uh, that there was a Sha- actual Shaolin monk teaching in London, and I was like, "What the fuck, man! I gotta get down there." And train. I was so excited, and I, I remember I brought the art editor um, from the magazine because she was my buddy, and uh, we went down together. And she hated it; like she left after ten minutes and wanted to throw up. And I just was like, "I love this," you know. So I became kind of fanatical about it and and uh, was training like every day, you know, and uh, um, so anyway, that, the, the reason I bring that up is because um, in China, I had gone to China to train with him at the Ta- Shaolin Temple. And so when I went to do the clothing, my idea was to go back to China. I also had a friend who was in the uh, tribal art world who's from Xinjiang okay. up in uh, northern China near the Mongolian border. And she knew how to get to all the hill tribe because I really like the hill tribe costumes, the indigo. So anyway, I went to Vietnam to meet my Shifu, who was there for the world uh, world wushu games okay. and with some, some of his fighters. And... And the plan to go on to China from there, but I ended up just staying in Vietnam and living there for like a year, and I made the clothes, and um, <clears throat> and yeah, I I I didn't really know what I was doing, so it was like a big, it was it was it was kind of comical because I just had no, I have no experience in designing clothes, I had no like. 
idea where to get the clothes made. And I just kind of did everything like intuitively and um, it did well, but it definitely didn't do, didn't take off. You know what I mean? Yeah. In fact, my mother just emailed me to tell me that uh, that uh, there was uh, there's still some of the jackets that I had made in uh, in her hall closet, oh. <laughs> and she's going to donate them to a woman's charity. Okay. So, yeah. So there's going to be these women walking around Ottawa in these exotic uh, Asian designs. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I mean, I'm. I actually think it's uh it's way better that 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 way. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it was like kind of like I didn't know what I was doing, but I wanted to do something, and I had money at the time. I didn't need to like. I didn't need to work. You know what I mean? Like it was more of a fun project. Mm-hmm. I was making really good money from the um, tribal art world. You know. And, you know, sometimes you could just do one sale and make like 10,000 bucks. And so you're living in Asia, that goes a long, long way, you know. Um, But I definitely, that was my first, I think it was my first time in Asia. And I was just like, I loved it. So. And this is, sorry, this is in China. No, this was, well, China was, oh yeah, China was the first time I was in Asia. Um, No, this was, uh, I, I did China in 2004. Okay. to train and I went with my teacher and um and then in 2005 I went to Vietnam with the intention of going back to China but I ended up staying in Vietnam <clears throat> and um and doing the clothes from there and so I'd say from about 2005 to 2006 or 7 I was doing the clothing as well as doing the normal, like the the tribal art stuff, the antique tribal art stuff. And you're training at this time, the whole time. Uh, at this point, no, I stopped training because I was in, uh, I was traveling, um, and my t- teacher was in London. Okay. And I, so I was living in Vietnam. I was running and stuff like that, but I wasn't training martial arts at that point. But I moved uh, after, after that kind of fizzled out much to my dismay. I was pretty, I was a bit disappointed because it didn't go. I had like big dreams about how it would go. Mm-hmm. And um, it didn't quite turn out the way I expected. So I went back to San Francisco. And, um, and uh, then I started training. There was no Shaolin monk teaching in San Francisco. So I started training um, Muay Thai. So oh, that's okay. how I kind of ended up in the Muay Thai world. And... Um, I trained with a guy called, uh, well, two really famous Muay Thai fighters. One is called the uh, Zhang Sanan, um, Fairtex, and he's like a. In the Muay Thai world, they talk about the golden era, like it was like a really special time in fighting where there was just like these amazing fighters, and he was like a very famous golden era fighter, and he taught uh, in San Francisco. So I trained with him. And, um, and sorry, I just want to, so could anybody just walk in off the street and say, I want to train with you or do you have to? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. They had basically the gym, San Francisco has a really good Muay Thai scene because they have, uh, Johnson and they have a guy called Bunkerd Fairtex as well. And another guy called Nung Seam, another guy called N 
and they were all from the Fairtex camp, which is a very big gym in Thailand. Because in the 90s, um, the owner of Fairtex opened up a school in the States. So he brought over uh, a bunch of their top, their elite fighters, uh, champions. And so, um, so yeah, you can go. They have, like, classes all through the day pretty much. You can go in the morning, midday, in the evening. And uh, they have beginners classes. They have advanced classes. They have sparring. And then they, if you if you want to fight, they'll help you get get fights and so on. If you're you know at that point where you can get fights, you know. Yeah. But you have you have to go through like you know what I mean. You have to. Um, I think I think with some of the schools you have to like be at a certain point before they'll let you spar and so on. You know. Okay. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, a lot of people just do it for fitness because the fitness is really good. You know, you do a lot of strength and conditioning and you do a lot, you know, it's just really grueling. So people like it. I'd say like nine out of 10 people do it because they, um, is there feedback there? Yeah, it could be me though. So, okay. I, I might just be... Hold on, hold on. Oh, there we go. Okay, I'll, I'll yeah. edit that out. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's a very, I'd say 9.5%, uh, 9.5 out of 10 people do it because, or 9.9 even, because they um, they just do it for fitness, right. especially, in, I mean, in, in North America. And then um, there's a small group that like to fight as well and compete, so... And so then somehow through all of this, you ended up in, in Thailand. Yeah. So, so, oh, well, it's a long story, but uh, of course it's all a long story. I, I keep saying, but, um, yeah, I, I came to Thailand with the intention of just training and maybe fighting. Okay. And, um, I, I, um, I got here and I, and I was in a camp, it was 2008, so I, I came to a gym that didn't have any English speakers. So I um, kind of had to learn, like, Thai, and I just fell in love with with it. You know, the my trainer and his wife were, like, my best buddies, you know, and I'd hang out with them. And um, they were, like, we were inseparable um, for, like, three months. And then I decided... At that point, after three months, when I was I was going back to San Francisco, and I decided I was going to come and live in Thailand for a year and just train and try and fight and, um, yeah, and um, see how. Sorry, see how you know, just do something different, you know, um, and. Uh, yeah, then a year turned into two years, and then I've been here ten years now. Um, so, and you have you so you're you're married now, right? Well, not technically. Okay. We, in Thailand, you call your partner, your long term partner, your husband or your wife. Okay. So, we've been together for uh, eight years. And you have this kids. year, it'll be eight years. And you have kids? Yeah, we have a, a son, um, and. Um, yeah, I met June basically after my second year here. I met him. He's a fighter, and we were training buddies. And you know, 
I, um, yeah, we, we'd run and train together and spar together and stuff like that. And then, um, just getting more of that feedback. feedback. Yeah, I'm not sure why. Oh, there we go. Okay. Sorry. Is it good? Yeah, we're good. <laughs> so you, um, you train together and you spar. Yeah. And sparring and all of that, and he uh, he just ended up being a good, uh, like a really good friend, and uh, I didn't expect anything. I totally was, because I was single for a lot of years in between there, and I wasn't expecting a, a relationship at all. I, I Also, he's younger than me, so, and um, yeah, I just didn't, didn't. Didn't expect it at all. Kind of, it was, I was a bit shocked when he asked me out for like a date. Yeah. I was like, "What?" <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't get it. You know, I'm kind of oblivious. Like well, I said, said I'm yeah. oblivious. Yeah, you didn't get it in '88 or '87. You don't get it 30 <laughs> years later. That's okay. I never get it. I never get it. That's okay. I'm um, I'm convinced that there were probably I don't want to say hundreds, but probably three opportunities that I would have missed out on. Or that I did oh. miss out on because I was just oh. so oblivious. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. Remember, I remember somebody once gave me a Batman comic in like grade 12. And yeah. she, she was like really cute and she shouldn't have given me a Batman comic. Like it seemed weird. <laughs> but now that I think about it, maybe, you know. I know. Maybe she. Hindsight is 2020. I know. Eh? Maybe there was more to it. I don't, I don't know. So, how do you pronounce? Because I see, I, I follow you. We follow each other on Instagram and we're on Facebook. Yeah. How do you pronounce the last name or the name of the gym? Oh, the name of the gym is Sit Monchai. So, okay. um, Sit is a short for Luxet, which, which means student. So, a lot of the gyms in Thailand start with Sit, like the Sit Yotong, Sit Song Pinong. There a lot of, that's a, pretty standard starter for the, or prefix for the camp names. And then there's um, <clears throat> Monchai. Monchai is the eldest son of the owners, the original owners of the gym. Oh, okay, okay. So, um, Sip Monchai, so anyway, when you fight for a gym, you take their their name, so that my, hus my husband, his nickname, okay, this gets confusing, because in Thailand, fighters have, Three names. Okay. They have their birth name, which is, uh, it's, people usually don't know it. Like, it's kept, you know, it's only used for official documents and, okay. and so on. Okay. And then they'll have a nickname that everybody uses. That's how they're known through to family, friends, and schoolmates, and so on. Um, so my husband's nickname is June. Um and then the, the fighters will have a fight name as well. So, oh. um, so my husband's fight name is Tepnamit, which okay. means like uh, angel or like angel with powers or something like that. angel warrior. Okay. Along, something. Okay. Um, do, do you have a fight name? I do. My my first trainer gave it to me, and it's it's funny. It's a Bursi, Bursi, which uh, it sounds really nice. It means like sacred lotus. Okay. Or, um, yeah, sacred lotus, I guess, is the best uh, translation. But it's also like a real kind of, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like a, like a, 
a bit uh, uh, twee. I don't know. Like uh, it's a it's a bit silly as well. Like because a, a lot of fighters will have it. You know what I mean? Like a. Uh, is it like when they call? Sick. Is it like when they call the fat guy slim or the bald guy curly kind of thing? Uh no, okay, no, <laughs> no. Okay. But it's like a, it's like oh, I don't know how to describe it. I don't know. It's a very Thai thing. I don't know. There's humor in it. Put okay. it that way. Okay. I, I don't know how to describe it other than that. But um, yeah, here in Thailand, they call it's funny. They call the fat guy fat guy. <laughs> and they call it. Like seriously, you know, they have no trouble telling you. I mean, the first time I met the owner of the gym here, um, he he just I was in the ring hitting pads, and he came up and he he just looked and pointed at me and said, "She's fat." And I was oh. like, yeah. yeah, like even I mean, basically, if you don't have a fighter's like six pack, you're fat in Thailand. So okay. Uh, so yeah, but they have no qualms, and if you put on like a pound, they'll come up and tell you, you know. So, uh, and if you're overweight, they'll just call you fatty. Like they'll right. call you fatty. Yeah. <laughs> but the weird thing is, is that it's actually better to be overweight than underweight. I, there, I was sick um, uh, quite a few years ago. Like uh, I couldn't put on weight for some reason. I got really thin, and. Um, I was having a, uh, I found out I was anemic, um, but um, anyway, at that point, I dropped, for like two months, I dropped like a lot of weight, and I was, you know, looking really gaunt, and uh, the fighters would come up to me all the time, and like, yeah, let me, you know, you know beautiful, you know beautiful, <laughs> you know, like, they got so, like, bent out of shape about it, you know, so there was no, there's no, it's worse to be, like, underweight, and Thai culture, you know what I mean? They think like being overweight is a sign of health and happiness, and it's it's completely different from our standards. So I would be revered, perhaps. <laughs> you would be. Well, you look fantastic. Though. You do. No, I don't really look that. Well, thank yeah, you. you thank you. I will. You. Uh, I, I like your haircut too, and the beard. Oh, that's well. I got my haircut because it's my birthday on the weekend, and we're going out for dinner, and I want it to look nice. <laughs> oh, well, you do. Well, thank that's you. Awesome. Yeah, I went and saw my my barber. So yeah, since we moved here, I, I have like no no friends, but I like to think that my barber's my friend. And, yeah. Uh, and actually, I want to interview him for this because I think he's a neat guy. Because I think he's more than just a like a, a barber. I think he's had some past stuff that that is going to be interesting to talk about. Before I want to know how he ended up cutting hair, but. Anyway, that's a whole other story. Oh, there, there's a guy, the comedian that I really like, Duncan, Duncan Trussell. Okay. And he's always like, hey, do you know him? No. Is he British, I'm going to guess? No, he's American. Oh, oh no. Great. Oh. You, should, you should check him out. He's so great. And he talks a lot about like just doing, like living and the non-conformed life, you know what I mean? And doing, following that voice inside of you that just says like, you know, and it might be a lonely journey and it might be, uh, you know, challenging, but it's, um, he's, he's really good at talking about it anyway. And he, he has, he says, Oh yeah, that's it. Drop into who you are, drop into who you are and, um, embrace it. So, okay. um, <clears throat> anyway, just like your barber, you know, being having a 
pretty interesting story. I'm sh- like, that's the thing that always interests. And that's why I really like the idea of what you're doing with your podcast. Because to me, I think like we all have that story. Everybody's got a really interesting story. And I mean, just being here at the gym, the people that come through, I meet like, I meet like these amazing people that have had these, um, and you might not find it out at first. And you might just think like, Oh, that guy's just like some American, you know, corporate guy or yeah. whatever, you know. And then when you start to listen or you peel back the layers and you can find these like incredible stories, like everybody, that's what life's all about, right? You know, and you find your way and maybe you you don't, maybe on the surface everything looks normal, but, you know, always someone's got like some, you know, I think, well, 99% of the time, people have got something really profound underneath it. I think, yeah, no, I, I agree. I absolutely agree. That's why I wanted, like, I was going through all my, my con, all well, my con, my face. It's funny you say, like, you have friends, and then I have Facebook friends, you know. Oh, I have yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So, but I was going through everybody and, and just, like, highlighting the people who I'm, I'm pretty sure have something more than what you see on the surface. Yeah. And yeah. it was funny, a couple of years ago, I had this idea that I wanted to see if I could reconnect with people who I hadn't seen. I think I gave it like a 10-year window, like if I hadn't seen them in a decade. Yeah, and I remember that when you were talking yeah. about that. Yeah, and I ended up like finding a couple people, and it sort of fizzled out after a while because I sort of didn't travel anywhere. <laughs> It, yeah, sort of, yeah, it yeah. involved if I was going somewhere and there happened to be a person there I wanted to, to talk to. But again, yeah. I met a woman who I hadn't seen since, I don't know, 94 maybe. And she was like uh, a Pilates teacher in New York, but she was from uh, the United Kingdom. And she like it was like this crazy story mm-hmm. of, of like owning juice bars and, and, and then becoming a Pilates instructor. In, yeah. On on um, Park Avenue. It's weird. It was, anyway, so yeah, yeah everybody's got um, everybody's got something, and I have some other people lined up who are willing to, for whatever reason, tell me about times in their lives that you know were weird and neat. Yeah. So, but I mean, that's that's the back. That's the stuff that, like, if you want me to go deeper and tell you the whole backdrop behind my story, I would say that, you know, that is the real meat of it, you know, it's not really, oh, I went and studied martial arts, and, you know, this and that, you know, the real truth of it is that I had, like, some very severe trauma, and, like, sadness, and um, pain in my life, you know, and, um, and that's what motivated me to change, you know, like, when I went to uh, <clears throat> when I dropped out of high school, I was like doing drugs and drinking and I got involved with selling weed and smuggling weed back from Jamaica and a deal went wrong. So I basically was kind of dropped out of high school because of it was like I was afraid of the consequences of being uh, caught, or, you know, um, so there was... <clears throat> it was it was Canada, so we had the Young Offenders Act. Well, yeah, I, that's that's why I ended up taking right. weed back from Jamaica was because I was still a young offender, right. and my friends were a bit older. But no, what happened was um, my friend, who was this Rasta, robbed somebody. Um, he went to go buy them weed and didn't come back with the money. 
the guy, it turns out, was a crackhead and took off with this money. You know what I mean? And then um, so the person who happened to be at SRB as well thought that I was involved. Um, and I wasn't. I wasn't. Um, I had nothing to do with it. And I was just horrified and mortified by the whole thing. So, um, so yeah, that was kind of like an, just a spiral. You know, I got really heavy into drinking um, to the point where I just, you know, when I was in London and <clears throat> uh, living there, I just got into this place where I was just so lonely and so sad and so miserable with my life. And, um, you know, it's martial arts helped, but I was at the same time, like I, I was training, I trained really hard. And then I go into these like binges of depression, drinking where I just wouldn't stop, you know? And, um, at that time, my father, my father died of alcoholism. He drank himself to death. <clears throat> and, um, my stepfather who raised me, who's the guy in Canada who, okay. who raised me, um, he got within six months, not even six months. It was three months after my, my, my father died in 1999, um, 1998, sorry. My, my stepfather had, we found out he had brain cancer and he only had six months to live. Wow. So this was like, the big catalyst for change, you know, at the time, you know, you're falling down and it's like being in a, being smashed down to the ocean floor, like face planted with a big wave, you know what I mean? And you, uh, and you have to sort of get up and figure out what you're going to do and, and where you're going to go if you're going to get up and do anything. Cause like at that time, I just, I was so miserable, so unhappy and so sad and so like, nihilistic nihilistic that's how I felt you know and and that's but it was the catalyst for all the change I moved to San Francisco mm -hmm. I got sober in San Francisco I um I left I was married briefly that was a weird chapter of my life <laughs> and, and then you, we were married sorry back in Canada yeah I okay. married in Canada in 1998 okay was it 98 yeah, it was just, so yeah, no, it was it, it might've been 97 actually. It, I, I went back to Canada and got married to my, one of my old friends from when I, my punk rock days. Okay. Uh, and, but we, we were like, just, it just didn't work out. We went to England and back to England and he couldn't get work and it was just, yeah, it was just not a good, and the only reason in my, the only reason I've never been somebody who who's really wanted to be married, but um, I've never like uh, wanted that. You know what I mean? For yeah. some reason, it's never been on my list of things that I want to do. And um, but we did it so that he could get a visa to come to England because I was I was uh, I was working over there. Um, anyway, but yeah, that all collapsed you know, within a year or so, a year or two. And uh, so I, that broke up. My, my father, my stepfather died, and I moved to San Francisco. But it's all, like, looking back, you know, to me, that's the stuff that really forms you. It's the stuff that, it's the teacher in your life, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, 
that's if I didn't have those experiences, I wouldn't be who I am today, and it wouldn't have, um, you know, I, I consider all that darkness, quote unquote, darkness mm-hmm. in my life to be like the biggest teacher um, to me and the biggest, uh, uh, you know, guru in my life, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, um, and I, I like I don't really know what else to to ask you i want to i mean this is a lot to take in right now <laughs> but are, i'll just leave it all out there you know i yeah that's fine that's great i i love it you're so honest and i i like i love that i find like i mean it's it's not a fair comparison whatsoever but like you'll meet people um and you'll ask them you know like uh you know, what do you do for a living? And they give you some bullshit answer that you don't really understand what they do, mm-hmm. or they'll try to tell you what their spouse or their partner does. And they don't really know. And yeah. it's just this whole level of like, why are we uh, like still pretending, you know, yeah, like exactly. we're grown ups, we're the adults now. Yeah. Honesty <laughs> is just so um, like, to me, that's just like being, it's like liberating yeah. to be able to be, like express yourself honestly and and people to connect with people because every like like I said to me that's the thing like we've all got that inside we've all got our story and yeah. when you are able to open up a little bit and share that you're you know because I I I, I get people you know writing me uh, like old friends from high school or whatever you know or from from my early twenties, you know, writing me, Oh, you look like great. You look like everything is great. You know, and Facebook can give social media, of course, that give that, uh, that idea to people. And, and to me, it's like so important to say like, Hey, no, we, we're all just like struggling and we're all trying to, um, to get by, but you know, and that's one thing I love about living in the gym here because you know, as somebody who's like before in the years before I came when I was in Vietnam and when I was living in San Francisco, I lived I lived like a nun, you know what I mean? I do my meditation every yeah. day. I I basically lived I lived on my own and I I was so happy to be uh living on my own, doing my own thing, but and living like this reclusive kind of um life. But it's it's like being around people that really teaches you, you know, and and so so living here is really really good. It's like living in a commune, you know. You're living in a Muay Thai gym. Like I've got like 20 people living with me minimum, you know. Um, yeah, I, I should take you on a tour another time. Maybe. Another, yeah, I'll, no, but, absolutely. I honestly, I thought you lived in a, you know, in a house in, in where, like, are you, I don't know anything about the, the layout of Thailand. So like, are you like in Bangkok or close to Bangkok? I'm about a hundred kilometers, um, from Bangkok in, uh, um, the province is Kanchanaburi, which is on the Burmese border. And we're living in a little town called Tamaga and the gym is an old gym it's been around for like 40 years and the owner uh, is like my buddy like we just I helped him kind of open up the gym to non-ties basically oh okay so him and I kind of um he had the gym uh 
his family has had the gym for ages and it was just Thai fighters. And then when I came, we, uh, I did a website and just, you know, it just, it was another one of those things that just kind of like, you know, I was just training. I didn't expect it to happen at all. Yeah. And, uh, I, I just thought I'd help him out at first by, by, uh, trying to, um, help him get some, some, uh, international students. And, uh, and then it just turned into, cause the, our, a few of our fight, our fighters are very, uh, very well known, uh, outside of Thailand because of their style. The style is very aggressive. They go for the knockout and a lot of, of course, a lot of, um, uh, foreigners as they call them here like that. They like the style of the gym. So we get a lot of, um, people coming out, but yeah, we live basically in this outside my room. There's two boxing rings. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, there's all the Thai fighters are basically like my younger brothers, my, cause I've grown up with them and I've been like a mother figure to them. Uh, or I don't know if that's the right word, but yeah, they're like, I, I certainly adore them and look at them as my younger brothers and my kids, you know what I mean? So they're all in their teens now. And you, you travel the world with these, with these fighters, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I try to get them fights internationally. That's part of what I do in, in the, in the work I'm doing at the gym. So I I kind of manage all the foreigners coming to the gym, like take, you know, uh, get bookings and, and promote the gym on an international level. Although, it's mainly word of mouth. Mm-hmm. And then I, and then the, the, the meaningful stuff I do is like, for me, the most important part is like trying to help the kids, you know, get them better futures, get them fights overseas, get them uh, training opportunities overseas. Like they can go over and become uh, guest trainers at gyms. Now, like Muay Thai is so big mm-hmm. everywhere. You, you know, they could go to any city in the world and, and pretty much teach. So, yeah, no, there's a um, there's a dojo near here that my son goes to. I mean, he he yeah. just does your your basic strip mall martial arts, but yeah. they do have the the Muay Thai and a bunch of other. It's right across from a police station, so it's it's a lot of um, bearded Virginians looking to uh, become yeah. aggressive. There's not as much money in Muay Thai, mm-hmm. um, especially in America. Here, there's like some elite fighters that make really good money. Ten thousand dollars, you know. That's per, per fight? fight. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. And they fight very frequently here. Like people, my husband started fighting when he was eight years old. So. Wow. Yeah, and and like that was out in Isan and in, in the countryside, you know, um, in a very poor rural part of Thailand. So he'd fight in these like temple shows and stuff, but they fight very often. Yeah, how often? So they, do they fight like, like at that age they can fight like uh you know twice a week sometimes twice a day wow um yeah um but then when you get into the more regular kind of uh timetable for a fighter like once they get st- start fighting at the stadiums they'll probably fight every uh 2 3 weeks really uh yeah well, let's say once a month, once a month. I mean, sometimes they'll fight the stadium and then they might fight a festival, 
fight the younger guys like who are in their teens. And how long does but, a career go for roughly? Until they're about, I mean, if you're lucky, you can fight until you're about, you know, 30. That's considered old. Really? Um, yeah. The pr people are in their prime, fighters in their prime in their late teens, early 20s. Um, or like, yeah, yeah, about that. Sometimes they're as young as 16, 17s. They can be phenomenon, phenomenons. And um, a, what does a, uh, a, like a retired Thai fighter, Muay Thai fighter do? Become a trainer. Oh, really? Yeah, usually. And 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 the options weren't very good because there's no sort of social security here for old people. So um, so once they stopped fighting, a lot of them would just end up being trainers and getting very small salaries. Now it's changing because they can go overseas and they can um, get jobs overseas fight, uh, teaching. And they can also ha extend their careers by fighting non-ties, like... So, oh, okay. uh, you know, fighter reaches there, like my husband right now, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's at that point where he's, he, he doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke. So his career has been a bit longer. Um, and he, um, now is in that stage though, where he's, uh, starting to turn over to fight, uh, non-ties cause they're not, uh, their bones aren't as, I mean, it doesn't hurt as much for the ties to fight the non-ties because they're their bones aren't as strong. Like you can hit my husband's shins with the, with the, come here. You want to say hi? Here he is. <laughs> I'm excited. He's a, you, can, you can hit his shins with a, with a, hi. How are you? <laughs> good. Thank you. And you? I'm good. Thank you. Can she punch you for me? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, his shins are really strong from fighting, and that's why they fight from such a young age, oh, like okay. um, to get their bones. Strong. They call it muay graduk, which means uh, bone box, like bone fighting. You know, just to get their bones strong. Okay, so this Can is you? this is not an easy language to learn. I'm I'm guessing, right? Yeah, it's it's easy in some ways and hard in, in other ways. You know, because there's tones and so on. Um, and the alphabet, like it's a completely different alphabet. So, so are you fluent? I wouldn't say fluent, but I, I can speak it pretty well. I understand it. And, you know, I've lived here for like so long now that I, I if I didn't, I'd be a, an absolute idiot, you know, but, um, I get, I'm learning reading and writing and stuff at okay. the moment, and but yeah, it's hard. And your son's bilingual? Yeah. Well, that's yeah. got to be fun for everybody, I guess. Yeah, yeah, fun and and uh, it's good because he teaches June like June's English isn't as good as his. Okay. So he's always teaching June like new stuff and yeah. And do you still speak French or no? Why bother? You know, it's weird when I try to speak French now. I get halfway through uh, a sentence and Thai will come out. <laughs> so it's weird. Like I heard that your brain cannot like. Until you're, I don't know, that your brain will, won't switch gears, you know, yeah. uh, well, when you're learning two languages. Because I never was completely fluent in French. Um, so, yeah, it's weird. So, there, and there's also, like, like a couple of words that are similar. Okay. So, like, in, in French, there's two for all. Mm -hmm. But in, uh, in Thai, it's tuk. Oh, okay. So, you can trip up over words easily, I find. 
And do you um, do you ever see yourself leaving there, or you're you're quite happy? Is Abigail happy? Is Abigail? I'm you know as happy. I'm pretty happy. I'd say. Yeah. You know, I've had a couple of. Uh, you know, it always comes in waves. I find you know, like nothing's perfect. You're always working. You're always trying to, you know, uh, find that peace and happiness within you. And sometimes, uh, sometimes it means going through some rough times to, to get to that, you know, like last year was a, a really challenging year for me. Um, and, um, yeah, it was very challenging, but you know, it came out. Okay. It came out. Okay. I came out like a, with a better, uh, feeling sense of peace and happiness in my life. But, you know, I always think it's like, Again, it's like waves, you know, like expansion and contraction. Yeah. And when you're going through the difficult times, it's like an opportunity to to level up, as somebody once said. Um, it usually means that you're at a you know a new level in your evolution as a person. I think. I can hear. Do you have birds? Yeah, there's birds outside. Um, I'll take you if you want. I can just take you around the gym quickly. Yeah, this will make for a great uh, podcast. <laughs> yeah. You could show, let me just put you on my phone first. Okay. Actually, let's call you back on my phone, and then I'll take you outside. Yeah, for sure. Okay, hold on. I, okay. okay, I'll talk to you in a sec. Okay. Recording, so there we go. <laughs> okay, so this is... Thai video, Thai video, podcast. I don't know what you so, said. So yeah, this is uh, this is where the the fighters live. Okay. How many fighters? That's Willie having a shower. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> how many how many Hang on, let me put the speaker on. How many fighters are there? Okay. Oh that's better. I can hear you now. I couldn't hear you before. Okay. How many fighters live there? Oh, quite a few. Like uh about fifteen, I'd say. And that is that is that capacity? Is that what? Is that capacity? Like how many can you have? Uh we could have more probably, but that's like that's the amount of TIE fighters and Willie's like a TIE fighter. He's like lived here for he's from uh Dayton, from Washington State. Oh wow. But okay. he's been here for a while. So here I'll show you this is a ch chicken gym back here. Okay. Where they chicken fighting is a big thing here. Okay. Like actual cockfighting. Yeah, they don't actually fight them to the death or anything. Okay. If they take such good care of them. Hey, Kate. Hi, Kate. Hello. This is one of our, our star fighters. Good morning. There we are. <laughs> and there's one, another one. And so, this is so strange. So, do they, like, do chores there? Well, or, like, how, how does this living arrangement work? I'm so curious. Well, everybody, yeah, chips in. It's like living in a commune, basically. Yeah. So, but they, all the fighters take care of the... Say hello, what they come? Wow, this is great. All the fighters, all the fighters take care of the chickens. They love these chickens like crazy. So, but there's big money in it. Okay. Um, 
So there, it's actually there's more money in chicken fighting than there is in uh, than there is in uh, Muay Thai. Really? So, yeah, is, so is this common? Like this is this is this typical of what a gym would look like? Yeah, very typical. Wow. Very typical. And it, so everybody, everybody cooks, everybody cleans, everybody yeah. pulls their own yeah. weight. Yeah, everyone chips in. Um, the trainers, we have trainers as well. All the fighters live here. So these are all the fighters' rooms. Okay. And it's a big gym. Like, we've got a lot of... Oh, sorry for putting my fingers everywhere. That's all right. And there's... Over there is the kitchen. I'll take you there in a sec. There's where... So basically, outside of my room is where... Uh, like every morning you wake up to people hitting pads and training. Okay. There's some people that are still wrapping up their training, but there's the boxing rings. And what time will the day sort of start at for the, for the gym? Starts at around uh, 6.30 in the morning. Um, sorry about my fingers. I can't, what the hell? Sorry. Yeah, around 6.30 in the morning, uh, training starts and, um, with a run, a long run, like a 12-kilometer run. Okay. And then uh, come back and hitting pads. And uh, and then, um, yeah, hitting the ba doing bag work. And then in the afternoon, it starts all over again. This is the kitchen. Oh, my God. Uh, trophy case. And the afternoon, it starts all over again with sparring and clinching as well so it's like about six hours a day of training okay the kitchen. and these are, mama's, these mama's are doing the these people they, they work there or they no. they live there as well or, or they they work there hello <laughs> <laughs> oh this is amazing yeah it's pretty it's pretty cool um and this is where i live right here so we live very modestly, but uh, it's been great because we've been able to uh, save money because okay. we don't really pay for it. Oh, we don't pay for um, for rent or anything because I live here and do work and June's fighting. Okay. And so we saved up enough money to buy some land and now we have some land nearby that we can build on. Okay. Uh, which is really good. And so, is that like a retirement plan, or is that just going to be a, a sort of as you go? I think it'll be sooner than retirement. I think we'll probably move. We we'll start building there like this year. Yeah. And we've done some investing. We invested a lot in cryptocurrency. I I don't know if I told you that, but that's how we bought the land. We like doubled our money with um, buying some Bitcoin last year. Okay. And it worked out for so, you. Huh? It worked out for you? Yeah, we we put all our savings into it and doubled our money like in in six weeks. Wow. Not even like a month. Wow. We sold we sold our Bitcoin when it was at its highest, like at uh, twenty thousand bucks or whatever. So yeah, we've got the we bought the land last year and and now we still have some investments like in the in crypto. Um, that we're hanging on to for for long term sort of thing. 
but yeah, I think that for uh, as far as a long term plan, I think we're thinking we'd like to get out of the gym. Like it's been great to be here for many many different reasons. Yeah, but um, you know, Bai Pai, is getting big now. You'll see him in a second, but he's our son. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't really love the education system here. So the plan would be probably to spend like uh, half the year overseas, maybe in San Francisco or um, uh, San Diego we're looking at. Okay. Um, and then come back like half the year here. So like the, you know? the education part of the year would be done in the States? Uh, yeah. Maybe. We'll see. I mean, it's all up in the air. Maybe we'll do the homeschooling. I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to it's hard to say because he just um, our son doesn't really conform to the Thai way of teaching, which is very uh, traditional, very like it's like out of the 50s, you mm-hmm. know, just route and memorization. And he just doesn't learn well in that environment. It's funny so, you said homeschooling. I was going to I spoke to a woman where my kids go to uh, music class and she was homeschooled. She's about 20 and she was homeschooled. Yeah. Uh, her entire life up until now she's um, in college here and she's transferring to a university. And I wanted to interview her because it was fascinating to me. I'd never uh, talked to anybody who'd been homeschooled. And, yeah. And it's really, um, it's a lot more involved than I than I could have imagined. And Yeah, it's really involved. That's why I've been kind of like uh, hesitant to even think about it until now. But... I have some of my closest friends, their daughter uh, was homeschooled and they travel all over the world. And I know people that travel a lot. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about what June does is that he can go anywhere in the world, you know, basically and have work. And um, he, um, so we could like, if we wanted to, we could go to Australia, we could go to um, Sweden, we could go, you know, we could go to all these different places and, um, and, it, and, and Pi could, you know, have his experience of the world, you know, he could learn so much from that experience. And I know a lot of people, I know one family in particular who have done that with their daughter and their daughter is brilliant. She's like just absolutely brilliant. And I, I don't know, I think just people, the old ways of teaching and not necessarily the best and um so anyway i i thought about it but i again i don't know a lot about it it's but they do certainly you don't have to spend like eight hours a day teaching um teaching teaching your child you know i think with homeschooling a lot of people do it for just a few hours yeah. a day yeah it's, it's you know, and then the, this it, woman I talked to, she would go to museums, and and that was you know an activity that was like a lesson. Yeah. They'd spend their yeah. day at, at a museum in New York. Yeah, she was. I think she lived in Brooklyn, so they'd spend their day at a museum in New York, and that was yeah, you know, learning about the masters and stuff. And it was a lot more interesting than well. It's also like I'll talk to my my kids' teachers, and I have no idea about how they teach kids. Uh, yeah. today like it's not at all like what we went through um, yeah it's I think I, they have some more a little more progressive in the states and places like outside of Thailand's still re- they still hit the kids you know what I mean where there still, yeah really 
Yeah. I think I, I should have been hit a few times. <laughs> <laughs> it might have helped. Too, probably, but I mean, they're really like strict and, you know, the thing is people aren't taught here. They're not taught to think uh, laterally. Right. They're very, very linear. They're thinking. So, for instance, I went once. Um, I went once to order some uh, stir-fried stuff, but I didn't want them. I, I don't. I don't eat pork or chicken. I eat beef. Okay. But I was like, just don't put any pork or chicken in it. And the woman was like totally baffled by the idea of making, you know, the stir-fry without the meat in it. Right. And I was. Like, it's just simple. Just put vegetables in. And, you know, this is an extreme example, but she like actually picked up the phone to call her boss because she was panicked and couldn't think like this is this is like breaking the rules. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, um, and there's just a lot of instances like that. Like, you know, I remember we had somebody here who wanted their iced tea, but they didn't want sugar in it. OK. And sugar or milk, which to that to, to the guy making it just was like insane and just he couldn't fathom that you know what i mean it's like no you do things a to b to c to d there's no variation from that and right. that's how a lot of people are taught here and uh you know i want bipolar to have more dynamic kind of thought processes and uh you know think uh of uh think laterally as it were you know yeah yeah i and here i mean you talked about the 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 ordering the food in in North America, it's almost expected that you're going to want something, something without different. yeah, whatever's on the menu is not at all what what you end up want, wanting, and dressing is always on the side, right? Right, right. <laughs> and it drives yeah, me nuts because I, I don't I like dressing. <laughs> I think there's a happy medium. You yeah. know what I mean? I, I think it's it can be too much when people you know, want to completely deconstruct the menu, but you know, you know, just simple things like that. There should be, should be, shouldn't be such a, a hurdle right. in the thinking. Right. Yeah. I am going to, um, wrap this up, I think. Okay. But yeah. I'm going to edit the hell out of this. Not really actually that much. I just have to make it sound like it was one fluid conversation. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I have to, like, I really have to thank you because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. And it'll all come together. It'll come together, right? Yeah. Most, I mean, most of the podcasts I listen to are all just like conversations. Yeah. They're pretty entertaining because they just, people are just shooting the shit, you yeah. know? So, and I think, um, I think I started out with a great person. I really do. Oh, I thank you. That's I set really the bar. Super. Well, I set the bar super high with you. This is like, wow, I don't know who I'm going to talk to next. Oh, that's so sweet. I don't, I think you'll find, I think you'll find, I, I'm probably not. <laughs> well, it's, no, I, haven't I, <laughs> I got the first one up on, uh, hopefully it's up on iTunes by, by now. Um, Is it? well, the one I did by myself, just like 30 sec, 30 minutes of me just rambling. Oh, okay. Um, okay. it's, uh, too lazy to write.com is the website. The number two. Okay. The word lazy, the number two, and the word write, too lazy to write.com, because I'm just too okay. lazy to, yeah. to write. Um, and this will be the second one, and I'm hopefully going to get it up by Monday. Oh, my 
my gosh. Okay, exciting. Yeah, and it's just going to, the description is just going to be John talks to Abigail, who, uh, like, the, all my descriptions are going to be very basic. Yeah, that's cool. That's the way to do it, I think. Yeah. So if I talk to you again in 30 years, we'll be 60. <laughs> no, we'll be 70. 70. Not only 70. Well, I'm seven. What am I? Like 47? Okay. So, yeah. We'll yeah. be 77, man. Yeah, I'll be seven. Yeah, I'll be 47 on Sunday. So that's, uh, oh, no, I'll be 30. Yeah, I'll be 47 Sunday. Yeah, okay. <laughs> 37. Wait, what day is, oh, it's it's Saturday for you right now, huh? Yeah, yeah, so it's your birthday? Uh, t- tomorrow. No, tomorrow, yeah. Sunday. Sunday. Well, happy birthday. Why, thank you. I'm happy because I, I share a birthday with George Harrison, and I think out of all the Beatles, he's the one I'm I'm glad to be sharing a birthday with. Oh, yeah, he's awesome. I yeah. love him, too. I love him, too. Oh, well, have a happy, happy, happy birthday. Where are you guys going for dinner, anyway? There's a restaurant in D.C. that we found. It's a... Um, it's a Mediterranean, or no, Middle Eastern place where apparently they have like this big fire pit in the middle of the restaurant that they just sort oh, of throw wow. the food on. So I'm excited for that. Oh, wow. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's sort of my job is to find the restaurants and Good. Drink. Well, enjoy. Take photos. I will for sure. And thank you. So next, because I'm going to be there in the summertime. Wait, where are you? It would be great. Where you're going to be in the States? Uh, no, in. Well, actually, I am going to be in the States in August, but I'm planning on going to Canada, Ottawa first, okay. in August, and then going to uh, San Francisco and L.A. and San Diego. Okay, maybe, hopefully I'll be able to get to Ottawa and we can meet up and that I can thank you in person. Yeah. All right. And like I said, you have a standing invitation to come out here, your, you and your family. Okay. Yeah. Uh, We've got lots of space. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And just thanks for doing this. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, I really appreciate it too. Okay, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye, buddy. Bye. So that's it. There you have it. My chat with Abigail uh, in Thailand. And uh, I hope everybody enjoyed the tour of the gym um, with the chickens. And you were able to picture it all in your head. Not sure who I'm going to be talking to next, um, but I'm glad you listened. And I really do thank everybody who's taken the time out of their day to listen to this podcast. It was uh, definitely um, an interesting experience to talk to her. And maybe in a year or so, I'll catch up with her again and see how her and her husband and their son are doing. Uh, And hopefully I'll be able to see her in August in Ottawa. Thanks again for listening to lazy2write.com. The number two, the word lazy, the number two, the word write, the dot, the com. With the real John Baker, that's me. Thanks for listening. Looking forward to talking to you again. Take care. And everyone is welcome.